Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa on this evening of Bedlam. How are you, sir? Cade, we know who we're playing when and where for the 2023 football season are you excited i I am i tell that i'm excited i i sure can and i really appreciate you doing it up too because uh, (laughs) this is not normally i'll say it this is not normally your favorite kind of discussion but i I (laughs) was excited about this and i will i will go on a limb and i will say that i think this was the most anticipated schedule release ever would you agree with that (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I like to joke around and act like I'm too cool for this stuff, but I was actually really excited. You know, you and I have talked about on here before, we like to go to away. And it's it's cool to add these four new schools and see that we play two of them away next year in UCF and Houston. I think my wife and I, we, we lived in Houston for six years after college. I was working there before we move back to Oklahoma city. So we're definitely going to try to get to that Houston game for sure. See a lot of friends, see, you know, just the town that we lived in for a while and go see Oklahoma state play football. So stuff like that is, is really cool. And just overall outside of the personal selfish takes, it's really interesting to see how they fit. When you look at the big graphic that the big 12 tweeted out, how they fit all these different games with all these different teams with OU and Texas still in the conference for one, possibly two more years, how they fit that all together and got it all to work is really interesting. Yeah. It would have been a logistical nightmare and I I would not have wanted to be the person tasked with that. I mean, it's, it's a, a thousand moving parts and, and some of it is like you even have to factor in the logistics of, you know, the stadiums that these people play in. And like, there's more than just, okay, we'll slot this team in here, slot this in here. There, there are other external factors that, that go into this. So I don't envy that job at all. And I, I'll just say it, Dustin, I I love the draw. I mean, there was a chance in this new big 12 that you were going to see. I, I, and I do think this even took place a little bit that you would see some schedules that looked a little bit imbalanced and Oklahoma State, I think the, the main storyline is of is dodging. I wouldn't say avoiding because it's not true, but not getting any of the Texas, the traditional Texas schools on the schedule next year. That is going to be a trip. I, I have not been alive for a year that Oklahoma State and Texas do not play football. That's going to be very strange. Yeah, it's really interesting how it worked out. There's a lot of weird nuggets on the schedule. Cade, this is where we're going to start on our agenda anyway. Do you want me to just run through? Yeah, we might as well. Really quick yeah. for the listeners. So if you haven't seen it, I'll try to do this quickly so it's not incredibly boring and annoying. So Oklahoma State starts at home against Central Arkansas. Then they go to Arizona State. They play South Alabama at home. They start the Big 12 conference schedule at Iowa State. Then they get the bye week, the early bye week again. Then you play Kansas State at home on October 6th, which is a Friday night. Then you go Kansas at home, West Virginia, Cincinnati at home for homecoming, 
Bedlam, which is the earliest Bedlam since 2017, then at UCF, at Houston, and you finish out the regular season with BYU at home, which is going to feel like a really weird (laughs) bowl game that takes place in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the end of the season. It is so weird. I mean, that final stretch of games not being Texas at Lubbock, TCU at home, that's just going to be straight up weird. And I'm, I'm pumped for it. It's kind of exciting to get an infusion of new blood into the conference, but you've got four out of your five final games against teams that you have no history with. I mean, Oklahoma state and Houston have played a little bit, but two at home. And I will say it was the two I wanted to play at home, which was Cincinnati and BYU, just because it's so weird when those schools that you've watched from afar come into Boone Pickens stadium as a conference foe. I remember the first time West Virginia and TCU came to Stillwater how strange that felt. And now, obviously, they're, they're staples in the conference. This is that. And I'm excited that it's those two um, because I do think that the, they're the two, you know, biggest threats, you know, to the, to the uh, teams that are already in the conference. So I'm excited about it, but it is going to be strange where your final three home games are Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and BYU. It's a, a weird time, my friend. Yeah, and starting out at Iowa State – in the early bye week, home against K-State, the defending Big 12 champs. That'll be a tough start to conference play. That bye week will help. I think K-State, let me look at the total graphic really quick. I think they also are going to be coming off. Yes, so they are on that same bye week. So it'll be two bye week teams facing off against each other, which will be really interesting. K-State starts with UCF, then they get the bye. We start with Iowa State and then get the bye, and then we play each other on a Friday night, which is the first Friday home game for Oklahoma State since 1940. Holy Very cow. interesting. Nice yeah. pull there, my friend. That's good. I had no yeah, clue. So that'll be that'll be a weird one there. I, I believe that's that's conference, but it, it could be any game. I think it's I think it's conference though. Um homecoming against Cincinnati is going to be really interesting as well. And then the next week you face OU at home, which is most likely, actually, it's it's definitely going to be, right? The last Bedlam in Stillwater. Oh, even it's, if, it's the last Bedlam in Stillwater. And I think it's the last Bedlam. I think they're going to get out. Yeah, because even if they were to stay the one more season, it would most likely be in Norm. And I, I couldn't see it going back to back now that they kind of have the schedule figured out for this year. So a lot of interesting things. Kate, one of two teams to play all the newcomers. You mentioned they're not playing any of the Texas schools besides Houston. So that's very interesting. They're only one of the two teams in the conference that's going to play all of four of the new teams. I think the thing that stands out to me the most, Kate, negatively from this schedule, I know we talked about some of the cool things, some of the positive things, some of the away games, is that open? that open that bye week again so early in the season they're going to go one two three four five six seven eight games in a row after that bye week and they're all conference games yeah i mean we saw the the repercussions of that last year i mean it was it was a battered team and a, and a bye week doesn't fix all ailments by any means but uh you you definitely would love to sandwich that bye weekend in between cincinnati and oklahoma wouldn't you or west virginia and cincinnati it's it's unfortunate that Oklahoma State gets that draw again, 
um, because it, it really did wreak some havoc last year as they were unable to get guys enough rest to actually get healthy. I mean, you could look at a guy too, like even like a Jason Brooks that was kind of battling some lingering stuff. And uh, I think missed obviously the bedlam game. And then I think he missed the, the game after that bye week would have helped out a lot with him. Preston Wilson might even be a better example of that. A guy that just could have used that extra week later in the year. So it is unfortunate. I'll give you one of my negatives, Dustin. I think it's a fairly weak schedule. I mean, it's it's inevitable, right? I think everybody in this conference, now that you remove, I, I think for the majority of them, it was like you play one of Texas or Oklahoma. There were a few that are getting both. But for the for the most part, you're pulling off a, a I wouldn't call Texas a heavyweight in terms of their product on the field, but you're pulling off that kind of barometer. You always know when you play Texas, it gives you an idea of where you're at. Um, and then I would look at two, you get the two better teams, I think, that are coming into the Big 12 and Cincinnati and BYU at home. So you you don't have to go to Lubbock anymore, which is a, a difficult game, and I think they're going to be better next year. So truly, I think your two toughest games, obviously K-State's difficult at home. Oklahoma's always going to be a tough out. But I think it's at Iowa State too, and all of those two of those are at home. And then additionally, I think the rest is just you know kind of average. And so um, the question that I I was asked yesterday and that continues to linger is what happens when those schools are not around anymore? I think you do have to look at your non-conference as an opportunity to play somebody. I think Oklahoma State's already been proactive in that. They've got Oregon, Alabama on the schedule, but I do think that. That that conference schedule without an Oklahoma or a Texas in it, it you need something in the non-conference to help you out. Yeah, and it's tough not not saying that Arizona State is a historic powerhouse. You know, they've had some good runs in the 90s and things like that, but they're definitely in a down spot right now coming off the, the allegations, the Herm Edwards leaving. They did just get uh, Jaden Rashada, on signing day at quarterback. So that's, that's a positive for them, but you know, a true freshman coming in there, even if he is the starter, I think Arizona state has a lot of stuff. They need to figure out to get back to being in a good spot, but you, you do. My point is you do have a power five opponent there. It's just not a very good one. So I definitely agree with you. If you're going to get a draw like this in conference play, you probably need to bump up the non-con a little bit. Honestly, the, the hardest game in the non-con is probably going to be South Alabama. They were three last year and had a really solid defense. So that's going to be – luckily, you get that one at home. You're not going to South Alabama there, which Oklahoma State has done before not that long ago. I, I, I hope we don't have any Arizona State fans listening to this podcast. They might have just you know driven off the road. <laughs> Seriously, match them up right now. South Alabama takes them. No, I have no idea. South, but, South Alabama minus three. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Setting the line on that. Yeah. The thing is, you, and you and I haven't paid a ton of attention, scheme and everything, and personnel-wise to your Houston's, Cincinnati's, UCF's, BYU's. We know, we know things about them just from watching football, reading about them coming into the conference, things like that. But it's going to be really interesting as we dive in to see how Oklahoma State matches up with these teams. Kate, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the toughest three-game stretch is of the schedule? Ooh, it's a great question, Dustin. I do think it might be 
Cincinnati, Oklahoma at UCF. That feels fairly difficult to me. I think OU is going to be back up. And if it's not that, it's got to be at Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas. Thoughts? The only reason I would say maybe it's not the Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, because you have the open week in there, but I definitely think opening at Iowa State – and then K-State being your next game, like yeah, I said, that's... the defending Big 12 champs. Those are tough. And K-State definitely has some things they're going to need to you know, sure up, losing Deuce Vaughn and losing some other pieces on defense as well. But those are just those are going to be tough games. The Oklahoma, the Cincinnati, Oklahoma at UCF, and also even maybe the Oklahoma at UCF at Houston just going – to Orlando and then back to Houston the very next week. That's a lot of travel put in there. And obviously Bedlam's always going to be a tough one. I, I just don't, like you said, I don't think it's an extremely difficult schedule, but there's a lot of question marks on this Oklahoma state football team. So now hey, I'm going to ask you to give me your regular season win loss prediction because I know you've done a ton of research on these four schools coming in. Yeah. And I know you know everything about the other Big 12 teams on February 1st. No, it's the obvious next question. Season. You got to be ready for it, right? We, we we do this podcast on our toes. If you're not ready for that question, <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, with that being said, I'll throw it right back to you. No, I, I think that... <laughs> I've kind of warmed up to this team a little bit as we've as we've understood more about what's coming next year. There is a scheme change coming offensively. I feel like that's all but been said by Mike Gundy, even though it kind of has been said, right? And defensively, I think the scheme change there changes my perception of where their key issues are. So I do think I'll give Oklahoma State a little bit of a bump here with this schedule. I think I had them at like six wins, seven wins on the high side maybe eight if you have a really good year to put it all together. But I think it's eight like straight up. And I also wonder like if they're able to find success on the ground next year, I feel like if that happens, it, it helps everything out. And I do think they're going to be a better running team next year. And so if you can, if you can do that, keep Alan Bowman standing upright. Yeah. I think this is an eight to nine win team. And, and, and with this schedule, I think you can go 5-0 and on the road. I truly do think that. I don't think you have a truly difficult team on the road. I think you have Orlando and Iowa State and Morgantown. Those are going to be interesting. You know the bounce house in Orlando is going to be absolutely mad <laughs> to welcome us in there. But, hey, it's just part of it. But I do think you can go 5-0 and on the road if all the pieces line up. So I'll go 8-4 and as my kind of like safe answer. But I could even see them having a, a nine-win season with that schedule. Yeah, I had eight wins as well. I think I think they take all three of the non-con, even though I'm a little scared of that South Alabama game. I think they win at Iowa State. They take their first L at K-State. So that gets them to four and one. I think they get one of Kansas and at West Virginia. There's five and two. I think they get Cincinnati on homecoming, six and two, take the L to OU, six and three. And then I think they get two out of the UCF Houston BYU matchup to get them to eight and four. 
So that you have them going three and four against the new Big Twelve, essentially. Yes. Yeah, or sorry, three and one, three out of four is what I was trying to say. But yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think it's probably aggressive to think that what we saw at the end of the year to now is like yeah, a nine win team. But I, I just I've seen enough at least originally about the four coming in. I mean, Houston is kind of a mess, right? I mean, I, and, yeah, and I think I think that what you said though about it being a seven win season makes sense kind of with when we just broke it down just now going through the schedule, because I'm, I'm having them win two of those last three at UCF at Houston and then BYU at home. I could easily see them winning just one of those. Oh yeah. Landing them at landing them at seven and five. So I think that eight and four, seven and five is kind of the, the marker so if you get if you get to nine regular season wins, I think that's a very successful season with with everything you've lost. And I know you and I are very positive about the guys they're bringing in, but just because there's so much unknowns, I mean, you're playing a guy at quarterback who you and I both really like that hasn't played more than what three games in a season since 2018. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge question mark. Which you know, quarterback? We've seen what what the quarterback position is for Oklahoma State. When you've got a guy like Spencer Sanders who's doing so much for you on offense when you don't have a run game. And that's the other question mark, too, on offense there. If they're able to find just an average run game, that completely is everything. Well, that's because right. if you have a running game, it could even open up. If Bowman goes down, it could even open up things for Rangel or Flores. Even if you know, even if you have to play one of those two guys, if you have a run game, it opens so much stuff up. So there's just so many question marks is the point I'm getting at. But I think that eight and four, seven and five range is is kind of the sweet spot. Anything above or below that, I think would be a disappointment. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Dustin, I want to ask you a question. And I know you've done a lot of research on these four teams coming in. Which of them has the best debut in the Big 12? And which of them is at the bottom of the four as they come into their first season in the Big 12? You know, I know you, UCF is really excited, it seems, to be in the conference. Not just the fans, the team, they see, the, the social media accounts. They seem to be really excited to come into the conference. I think they have a lot to prove coming off there, you know, a few years ago when they claimed their national championship going undefeated. I know a lot's changed since then. New coaching staff, everything like that. I could see UCF. I could see BYU. I hesitate to say Cincinnati. I know they didn't have a bad year last year, but just losing Fickle, I'm not really sure you know, what that does. And then Houston had a lot of issues last season. I know they've got a guy like Belkett, defensive coordinator. they got Holgerson, a head coach. But I watched a few of their games, and they didn't have a terrible season by any means, but there were a lot of glaring issues that I think they need to fix on both sides of the ball. So... I'm leaning BYU or UCF. And if you make me pick just one, I'll probably end up saying UCF. But I I, I, I guess I don't know a ton. I haven't done a ton of research. Scheme-wise, I haven't done a ton of research on any of these guys' defense or offensive scheme. So I'm really excited to dive into that. that that'd probably be my answer, UCF, but I'm between them and BYU. Well, all four of them were eight-plus win teams last year, so that they are coming off of decent campaigns. I still – I watched a lot of Houston last year, 
and I, they're just kind of a mess. And I mean, it's, it's the same um, hallmarks of Dana Holgerson's West Virginia teams. I, and I think he's just brought that to Houston. So I'm going to put them as my kind of like hand down. I think they're going to struggle. Um, I think they're, they're ripe for location and recruiting, but I think it's going to take some time. My, my pick I like what you said about UCF, and they probably were better last year and over the last couple of years than I gave them credit for. But I, I think Cincinnati is the closest to Power Five ready, just in terms of roster makeup. Like they were able to compete at a really high level two years ago. They were pretty good this last season. I think they've been preparing themselves for this. But I agree the the fickle the absence of Luke Fickle there takes some of the shine off of them. So if it's not them, I think it's BYU. But I I do think it's all three are quality, and I think Houston is going to be the one that I I look at that struggles early. Um, but yeah, we'll look forward to seeing how any of them do because it's just again, it's exciting to have that infusion of of fresh blood into the conference. And uh, I don't know, Dustin, you going to make that Houston trip? I think I'm going to, yeah, I'm definitely going to Arizona state, but I think I'm going to go ahead and throw Houston on there too, because we still have a lot. Like I said, we still have friends that live in Houston, love going back there. One of my wife's best friends lives in Houston. So any chance she has to go back there, she's always down. So I think we're going to make that one. Any, any of those trips, are you, you thinking Houston, UCF, a little Orlando? Yeah. If I go to Orlando though, my wife's going to, drag me to Disney World and I'm I'm not getting suckered into that. So it's just kind of one of those avoid at all costs locations. And I'm not, you know, don't take don't take this personally, Dustin. I'm not a big Houston guy. So uh <laughs> we'll see. I respect it. I yeah, respect we'll it. see. I have a story that I won't tell on air about Houston. So um <laughs> yeah, I don't know if either of those intrigue me all that much. I'd love to go to Orlando for that for that matchup, but uh I think I may wait for BYU and Cincy the following year. I would imagine that's that's the the way this plays out, but who truly knows. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how next year's schedule shakes out if if OU and Texas are to leave a little early. It'll be interesting to see how everything shapes up if you play, you know, one of these teams twice at you know, home and home or they, there's not a way they can kind of figure out the schedule to where something like that doesn't happen. It'll be really interesting there. So, um, Kate, I don't know if I have much more on the schedule. I did want to make one quick note before we get into signing day. I was incorrect about Spencer Sanders at Ole Miss. So I was going off of, I believe it was Polk's report that had reported that due to him having those seven hours left, even though he's in Oxford, he's not able to participate in team activities. That is not the case. I heard Robert Allen actually correct himself as well on his radio show saying that Spencer is allowed to participate, even though he's still in seven hours of school online in Stillwater. He is and Ole Miss actually, I think posted a photo of him working out with the team. So he's fully able to participate. That being said, I thought he had a good shot to win the job anyway. I know we talked about that on the last podcast, I think with him getting there in the spring, he's probably going to be the day one starter. Like you and I talked about in the last podcast with a short leash is, is my thoughts. Unless you think differently on that. No, I don't think so either. I think he does have an edge, but I, I don't know if he's, you know, the odds on favorite. I'm not sure I would take him over a, if, if, if I was betting on this, I'm not sure I'd take him over a Jackson dart who has experience in the system. 
Spencer's going to have to come in quickly, prove that he can learn a playbook inside and out in what, Dustin? Two months by the end of spring to feel like you know who the starter is going into uh, fall camp. That feels really fast to me. Um, And, you know, we talked about Spencer Sanders all year as having a PhD in the Oklahoma State system, but that did take five years. So um, I I love Spencer's tools. I love his most of his intangibles. Um, But I do think I would give Dart maybe a a slight lean just because of his maybe less propensity to turn the ball over. He might be a quicker learner. We will see. I, I'm interested to see if if the old dog Spencer Sanders can learn new tricks. That's what I am really excited to know. Yeah, and I'll be paying quite a bit of attention to it. I, I think this is the most intrigue I've had on an Oklahoma State transfer out in a while. No question. Kind of how they perform. Normally, you know, rooting for these guys unless there was some bad blood when they left or they come on and say the coaching staff doesn't know how to coach and stuff like that. But want to play with, running back. Like With Spencer Sanders, I'll definitely be interested to kind of see how he progresses. You know, obviously there's some rumors about how things ended with him, but no matter what your take is on him personally or his, the way he left Oklahoma State, I feel like it'd be a lie to say you're not interested to kind of see what happens. With oh, yeah. Him this. Oh, I'm very interested. It it could work out and be awesome, and it could it could also not happen. And then there's this middle ground that I really think is going to happen where it does happen and it doesn't go well. I, that's my fear for Spencer Sanders is that he does get the job and the SEC West is an absolute buzzsaw and, and that becomes apparent once he gets there. So we'll see. Thank right, you for Kate, correcting you yourself, do? Dustin. You're an extremely humble guy. Oh, yeah. No worries. I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to call myself out whenever I'm wrong. I actually prefer it. So let's move on to signing day. So that was today. Obviously, with the December signing day, the early signing period now, it's taken a little bit of the shine away from this spring or you know, late winter, February signing day. There's not normally as many. So you had the big class sign earlier in the year, December 23rd, I believe, was signing day. And then you have kind of a smaller class sign now. So Oklahoma State has updated their roster. They have all the transfers on there. You can go check it out on their on the Oklahoma State website. They have their national signing day roster listed. Yes, Alan Bowman is on there. I know there were some questions about him being here for the spring, but he so uh moving through to the guys that signed today, we're not gonna go through all the transfers. Again, even though Oklahoma State announced a lot of those guys today on social media, Cade, you and I have gone through that entire class. We've talked about them in detail, and we'll talk about some of them again when they do the depth chart. So let's move directly into the signing class, Cade. Let's start with the running back from Salt Lake City, Utah, Sacy Vallehi. I also know that that is how it is pronounced. (laughs) I saw him explain that in an interview. This is a guy, Cade, you and I talked about. Three-star guy, 5'11", 195 pounds is how he's listed on Oklahoma State's website. This is somebody you and I talked about coming in for a visit. He recently visited. We said they were probably going to take a high school running back in the class, and they get their guy here. 
I would think of it kind of as a replacement for CJ Brown, who stepped away from the team. I know CJ was a four-star guy. This this is a three-star who didn't even specifically play running back in high school. He was kind of a jack of all trades, not gadget guy, but somebody they use in a bunch of different areas. But we thought Oklahoma State would take another guy for their backfield. And I really like this guy because he's extremely yeah. versatile. Yeah, well, that that's the word I was going to use. Took it right out of my mouth. He is a versatile player, and I, I like his size. And I think he brings something new to, to this Oklahoma State roster. So I can't wait to see what happens with him. Um, I was surprised to see that Oklahoma State – well, I guess I wasn't surprised, but I was getting nervous to see – what they were actually going to do. Yeah, so Dustin, I, I think he's a good pickup and I think a quality depth piece. What I'm curious about is, do you, I mean, do you think he's probably not a year one contributor kind of guy? It's it's more of a long-term play here? Yeah, I think so. And I honestly wouldn't be shocked. He plays, he played running back, wide receiver. They had him as a like hand-in-the-ground fullback. He plays on defense. I could see him possibly even moving to wide receiver or being kind of a guy that maybe lines up in the slot sometimes. Someone you can use in, I know your favorite, some some 20, 21 personnel looks with two backs. So I think you could kind of move them all around. And just to kind of further explain what I mean by versatility. So like I said, he's 5'11". Oklahoma State has him at 195. I think he was listed at 190 on 247. He had over a thousand all-purpose yards the past two seasons, but last year he only had 32 carries, 240 yards, five touchdowns, but he also had 24 receptions for seven touchdowns, and he averaged 19.1 yards per touch and also contributed in the return game. On defense, he was kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid, 48 tackles, four tackles for loss, uh, one and a half sacks, an interception, 11 passes defended, two fumble recoveries, and a forced fumble. He's also not an Adam Lunt special because Salt Lake West finished nine and three and got to the quarterfinals of the playoffs. So he wasn't really on a bad team and he wasn't at a small school, like I said, 6A. But this is somebody that's just kind of all over the place. If you watch his film, and Coach Gundy was on with Robert Allen today and said this guy kind of reminded him of Justice Hill. I actually see that a little bit. Now, I'm not compare, I'm not saying this guy's going to be Justice Hill, but the way he cuts and is able to kind of keep his speed and accelerate out of those cuts, he's got kind of that jump cut. He did this funky kind of stop spin on the sideline move that I haven't seen many times, but it looks like something Justice Hill could do. And then the, his catching ability, Justice Hill was pretty solid as a receiver out of the backfield. You know, we threw him the ball sometimes at Oklahoma State. We've seen what he's done for the Ravens in that terms. They, I feel like when he's in there, they actually toss it out to him quite a bit. So he kind of, I kind of like that comp. But when you look at him, his lower body almost looks more like a Jalen Warren who went to that exact same high school in Utah. So maybe a combo of those two. And I know that's going to probably get people really excited so i'm not saying talent wise yet but style i think kind of a combo of those two yeah i mean a combo of uh jalen warren and justice hill isn't the stepbrothers where he says you have the the voice of fergie and and you fill in the rest of the quote kind of comp yeah that is that kind of comp uh that you just laid out there but i like it 
And I, I mean, when you think of Justice Hill, you think of violent, explosive cut, cutting ability. So um, I love it. I think, again, not a year one guy, but somebody that I'm interested to see, you know, what what he kind of fits into, because obviously we're talking about a potentially revamped scheme. So if that's the case, you know, is, is he the kind of guy that we haven't really seen a lot of in the last couple of years with Cowboy football? It's a, it's a, he's he's an interesting pickup. Uh, and I, I love that Mike Gundy is throwing that type of uh, praise around. Yeah, he didn't have a ton of offers, but I know BYU, Idaho State, Nevada, Southern Utah all offered. And he confirmed in an interview that Texas A&M and USC were making late pushes Sheesh. right before the signing day. But he was stayed true to Oklahoma State, loved the family atmosphere there. You know, he's got the Binitonga pipeline to Oklahoma State, which we've seen work time and time again. But yeah, I really like him. Good route runner. Uh, caught the ball against his body a couple of times, but seems to have pretty good hands. I, I liked everything he did. So move on from there. Two wide receivers coming up next. We've got Jalen Pope, who you and I talked a lot about because he's a he's an interesting one. So he's from Alito, Texas high school. Oklahoma State's listing him at six foot one eighty five, three star prospect. I think he's listed as the number one hundred ninety four wide receiver. He's like number two hundred twenty six overall in Texas. I don't even think he had a rating though until right. relatively recent. Recently, he offered on January 15th, committed that same day. Air, he was decommitted from Air Force. That's where he was committed. Got offers from Air Force, Columbia, Lafayette, Oklahoma State, Tulsa. He, we still don't really know what to make of this one. The only thing I can think, the reason why he didn't have any offers, because Alito was a powerhouse in Texas yeah. 5A, and he was their leading receiver. 1,252 yards and 14 touchdowns on 64 receptions. That's 19.6 yards per catch. They also carried the ball a few times. He was the 5A D1 Offensive Player of the Year. And the only thing you and I could, the conclusion we came to in the last podcast is that because of the way Alito operates their offense, they kind of have that Z receiver position that functions as the primary target, the one receiver on most of their route concepts. Well, his junior season, he played there, but he wasn't the starter. So 15 reception, or he wasn't the every down guy there. 15 receptions, 279 yards, six touchdowns. So he boosted that by nearly a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, and almost 40 more receptions. The only thing I can think is the fact that no one really knew who he was junior year and he didn't attend many camps. And then he kind of blew up senior year, but I still don't understand why teams weren't making a late push there. Cause I really like pretty much everything that this guy does. The only kind of knock on him that I have is just from the, the film that I've watched, which I haven't done my full deep dive yet. in my Twitter thread, not a huge route tree there, not a ton of, you're just not really able to tell or I wasn't how skilled of a route runner he is and how diverse he is as a route runner but he pretty much checks the box in every other receiving category. It's it's so weird. And uh, I think you probably lay it out really nicely. And, you know, we don't want to speculate on anything uh, that we don't know. I mean, you look at maybe the offer sheet and it's, it's a bunch of service academies and smaller schools. And, you know, that's not all that common. You don't see that as like a 
you know, <laughs> the service academies are in on most kids or they're in earliest on kids. That's not very common. So I truly don't know what the backstory is there because he has phenomenal tape and does a lot of things well, as you mentioned. And I mean, Adam Lunt said something to the effect of today, like it's one of the strangest, you know, ranking, uh, not snafus, but it's one of the strangest ranking results from a player that has put it on tape that he can remember. And I, I would agree, especially again, as you, I think the biggest thing is where he's from. It's not a Taiwan Ray situation. It's a, he's from Alito. Everybody knows who Alito is. So I'd love to know the backstory there. I'd love for him to come on the podcast one day and tell us about it. Like, what happened? What? Because he's going to win a Blitnikoff. You can just feel it, right? It's going to be one of those type of deals. <laughs> and he was on Robert Allen's show today as well. And not to promote other podcasts, but if you go to Spotify, Triple Triple Play Sports Radio, you can well, find that Mike Gundy interview and you can find the Jalen Pope one. So if you want to check that stuff out, they're on there. And I, I listened today and he himself, I just listening to his explanation, it, did, it basically was what we just said that he kind of, blew up his senior year. So I don't think anybody really knows. Kate, after the, or in the championship game, I don't know how he didn't get a bunch of offers. Do you, do you want me to read you a stat line from that? Well, yes. Eight receptions, 228 yards and three touchdowns. That's like a Randy Moss Thanksgiving day. Yeah. Oh stat yeah. Line right oh there. yeah. Yeah. It's like Des Bryant in the, uh, you know, week before the playoffs. He's yeah. He's doing what he needs to do. He was player of the game of the 5A state championship game that they won 52 to 14 over College Station. So I think he's going to be a guy that you keep hearing along with the next guy we're going to talk about, Tyke Andrews. I feel almost the exact same way about him. His maybe is a little bit easier to rationalize because Enid hasn't been very good recently and they're kind of coming back into it. They, I think they went six and six this past year making the playoffs, but you know, not, not the five, a powerhouse in Texas that Alito is, but Tyke Andrews, like I said, from Enid six, one, one eighty five is what he's listed on Oklahoma state's website. Three star offered on January 8th, committed on the 14th. His offers are Dartmouth, Drake, Navy, Oklahoma state. Again, you see a lot of Ivy league schools there. This past season, he had a hundred, or sorry, he had one hundred one thousand five hundred fifty-one yards, seventeen touchdowns. Like I said, helped Enid to a six and six record. They lost in the playoffs to the eventual state champion Bixby. And an interesting note for Tyke is he is coached Enid's coach's former Oklahoma State All American receiver Rashawn Woods. Also, he's a basketball player, track guy. Has a lot of athleticism. Kate, I really like Tyke as well. I like Tyke and Jalen probably the same. Well, that's that's high praise considering what we just said about Jalen. So he's a guy that like came on late, right? Like I didn't I didn't remember hearing a ton about him early on, middle of the way through his recruitment. You and I hadn't spoken a lot about him, but I think that Rashawn Woods connection helps a lot. Like that that's probably not a uh tiny factor in this recruitment so he's an interesting guy um but overall again i i think they're looking to probably fill out some of the depth in that wide receiver room that they've lost to to the portal this year the year before so um not surprising that they're going to take a couple of really young guys in this class yeah and there's a lot of things to like for him too lined up outside inside one thing I noticed, something that we always talk about with these high school receivers is obviously they're going to have to improve their physicality, 
figure out ways to create separation from press man, which is something that receivers see when they go from college in the NFL. It's just, it's, it's always something you need to improve upon as you take a step up in level of play. But one thing he does do to create separation off of press is he's got very quick feet, which allows him to kind of maneuver around defenders and press and not even let them get his hands on him. So that was something I noticed. He's got good run after catch ability. You see a lot of that on film because they threw him a lot of screen passes, good route runner, Shows off a, several double moves with a good head twitch. And he made some wild catches on the on my watch. So he definitely has good hands. I think Tyke and Jalen aren't guys that are probably going to crack the depth chart next year. I know Oklahoma State lot, lost a lot of wide receivers, but they bring a lot of guys in. You know, it's the fact that they may we may see some formations with cowboy backs and tight ends on the field at the same time. Some of those kind of 12 personnel looks. So I don't think he'll crack the depth chart, either of these guys at receiver. I do think we'll remember and be hearing a lot about both of these guys in the next two, three, four years because they're very talented. Bang. All you need to say right there. I love that. Because <laughs> when you oh. when you hear these guys, like a Jalen Pope, maybe not even included in this conversation, but a Tyke Andrews from Enid, it's very easy to overlook a prospect like that that came on late. Um, but you know, based on what you've said, based on what we've talked about, doesn't sound like you should do that. It sounds like you're going to hear that name. So I, I love the breakdown there. Yeah. And then the last guy we're going to hit, another guy we just talked about. Yeah. They lose out on Manny Taimani, the Juco offensive lineman who I incorrectly thought they were 100% going to get. I think I said on a previous podcast, but they land Jameson Mejia, the 6'5, 280 pound left tackle from Broken Arrow. And I'm really excited for this guy. He's he's another guy who I think is going to take a little bit of time to develop. I definitely think he'll redshirt next season. The season after that, you probably you may see him crack the depth chart, but I think he goes along with this new kind of offensive line philosophy of recruiting that Mike Gundy alluded to on the Robert Allen radio show today when he was talking in his interview. You know, in the past, we've seen them kind of go for some of these longer, you know, bigger guys with more reach maybe if they're maybe even a little skinnier but athletic guys that possibly you know can move move out into space which which Mejia can do but what Gundy said on the radio show today is that they're looking for physical nasty guys now on the offensive line and if you, that makes sense switching to gap scheme some guys that can pull some guys that can down block aggressively and he's not really so much worried about the size and reach anymore it's still you still want that in an offensive lineman but if you watch Mejia's film, they run a lot of what's called dart. Think of power where the backside guard pulls around to the front side and lead box to the hole. But in dart, it's the tackle doing it. And from left tackle, he would do that and just punish people. When he was asked to down block, he he's listed it as having 88 pancakes and no sacks allowed. That's oh absurd. I, Hey, did you? How do you feel about this guy? I, I don't. I think we both agree that he's not going to be an early contributor. But I think this kind of is ushering in this new kind of you know philosophy for offensive line recruiting. No, I mean I agree with everything you said. The idea of somebody also coming off that left tackle in in 
what is is broken air they're 6a so that yeah, just are. feels like a a terrifying proposition uh for anybody on the opposing side of that but 88 pancakes is a ton i agree with you i think i think his weight alone is enough to probably relegate him into a red shirt candidacy um i don't even know about a you know cracking the depth chart next year he'd have to come on really strong almost like an Austin Kowecki, you know, type of guy. He'd have to show something like that. But, you know, I I, I love the idea of grabbing a three-star offensive lineman, you know, at the end of this class. And I, I think it doesn't necessarily fix things, obviously, but it certainly does show the the continued commitment to go get quality depth at these at these spots and, and depth that they think can contribute in a year. So I, I love it. Um, and he was one that I was not necessarily sure was coming in today. So uh, pretty cool surprise there. Yeah, I like that one. It was down to Oklahoma State and Virginia. He had recently visited Virginia, came to Oklahoma State for the visit. Arkansas was so, showing interest at the end, but he ended up picking Oklahoma State. So pretty big time, like all these guys. Coach Gundy mentioned on that interview, again, I know I keep referencing it, but there was a lot of great quotes on there. I really think you should go. everybody should go listen to it talked about how they're getting some of these high school guys that maybe are flying a little bit under the radar, like a Jalen Pope, Tucky Andrews because of, of the transfer portal and, and the focus on that. Some of these high school guys are kind of flying under the radar. It's something we talked about with Adam Lunt on our signing day podcast. So it's just really interesting to kind of see how that's working out. But Hey, before we move on to anything else, and I know we had some, we had some te- technical difficulties. Oh, not so. just some. We had maybe the most technical difficulties in the history of our podcast career together. So we're going to have to cut a couple of things we were going to talk about just due to some time constraints here. But we're not going to cut our depth chart breakdown of the offense. We did the defense on fr- last Friday. I put the Twitter thread out showing kind of Cade and I's thoughts. So... I'll run through it real quick, Cade, and then just let me know. We can kind of talk through what we think and if there are any possible changes. So I'll run through the offensive line too deep real quick. We can hit them, and then we can move on to the skill and then talk some QB running backs and stuff like that. So right. left tackle, got Dalton Cooper, the transfer in from Texas State. Left guard, Cole Birmingham, coming off this season-ending injury last year. Center, Preston Wilson. Right guard, Jason Brooks, Queso, and then right tackle, Jake Springfield. Behind them, I've got former starter at left tackle, Caleb Etienne at backup left tackle. Then I've got Taylor Matirko, who started last year a lot of games at left guard, at backup left guard. At center, I've got Maholski and Kowecki kind of as an or spot there. And I've got Davis Dotson, who was freshman last year at right guard. And then at right tackle, another or situation with Calvin Harvey and Noah McKinney, the UNLV transfer. It obviously the big thing there is I took Caleb Etienne and put him as a second stringer. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying I completely agree with even myself and what you and I did on the step chart, but it just felt right for now because I know Cooper feels stronger at left tackle than right, but I could I could definitely see Etienne at left, Cooper at right, even, you know, Cooper maybe not making the starting lineup, even though I think he will, and it being Etienne and Springfield again, but it could be any combination of those, but I think I feel pretty confident about the interior. 
I think that's the the biggest storyline, no question, is where does where does Dalton Cooper and Caleb Etienne end up? Because where they end up impacts a lot downstream. I mean, it impacts Jake Springfield. It might even impact an Austin Kowecki, even though it does sound like they've moved him inside. That's still kind of surprising to me, right? Like, I think you and I talked about that being, okay, maybe we'll wait and see on that if that's actually true. Go back over, though. I, I who, who did you have at backup left guard? <laughs> this is how deep we're getting. I, I had Materko. Okay. Here, here's the thing with that, Cade. This is, this is kind of what I wanted to highlight on the offensive line. It's something you and I have talked about on other podcasts. I'm listing off Dalton Cooper, Cole Birmingham, Preston Wilson, Jason Brooks, Jake Springfield. All guys who have either started at Oklahoma State or started somewhere else in, in D1 college football. My backups include Caleb Etienne, who was the starter at left tackle last year. Taylor Matirko, who was the starter at left guard last year. Joe Maholski, who saw a ton of reps last year. So three guys on the second string were all either starters last year at Oklahoma State or major contributors. And that's kind of where I wanted to point out some of the depth. Now, an argument could be, well, those guys at times struggled, like a Maholski or a Materko. But if they are your depth pieces, which is something we continued to see last year during the season, I think that's a huge positive. Because if you were to lose somebody on the on the first string at some point during that eight-game stretch, and hopefully it's not season-ending, and you need to plug one of these guys in to start for one or two games in a row, I feel like me personally as a fan and obviously as the coaching staff, they feel pretty confident in that. And we didn't have that last season. Well, it's kind of the reason I was asking, like the left side of the line feels legitimately too deep all the way to center. But once you get to right guard, I get a little bit antsy. Like I, I am a big Jason Brooks guy, but we, we're going to trust that this line's going to stay healthy enough to throw freshman red shirt, freshman David Davis Dotson out behind him you know, and then and then you got the right tackle position, which Jake Springfield, and then who did you have right behind him? I was trying to keep up so, with you. Yeah, I had Calvin Hervey and Noah yeah. McKinney, but the right kind of, side my, feels thin to me. My counter argument to that, and I agree. My counter to that though is, and obviously you can't tell this because it's in my brain and not on the depth chart that you're looking at. But I think if if a Jason Brooks were to go down you move a Preston Wilson to right guard and you bump up a Mahalski yeah, or Kowecki at center. If a Cooper were to go down, you throw Springfield or you throw Etienne at left tackle and you move Etienne to right tackle, which, you know, contradicts what I said about having a lot of depth because I'm taking guys off the first string and moving them around. But I do think you have eight guys you feel comfortable with on the offensive line and I, I mean, I'll need to go back and listen to exactly what we said last year because maybe I'm being a huge hypocrite, but I don't think we had eight guys we felt really confident about that have all had major reps no, at Oklahoma State or at another D1 school in Cooper like we do this year. Well, I mean, the addition of of Cooper and Birmingham alone, I think this offensive line is a full step ahead of where it was last year. And I think, you know, through three games – I expect them to be like noticeably better in in all key phases. I can't wait to see what they do with Dalton Cooper, but and I agree with you. I just want to avoid the musical chairs 
at all costs again. And I don't think it's avoidable. I think you are correct that if a, you know, key guy goes down on that right side, it's musical chairs again, because I I agree. I don't feel comfortable throwing a Calvin Harvey out there yet sight unseen. Now, I'm not in practices. They may feel completely different about this, but this is just me as a fan. I don't know exactly what they have there. So I would be nervous about it. And I think there's probably some fatigue from the fan base and with the musical chairs. So let's just, let's just pray, you know, maybe find some, some lucky charms to, uh, to uh, shoo the bad demons away on that offensive line. No, I completely agree with you there. I think one of the young guys will need to step up, which is, obviously concerning to you and I because we haven't seen them play in a game. Or if some guys leave, like like I said, I think I think we're at or over the scholarship limit right now by my count. But if some guys were to leave in the next portal opening, I think, you know, we've talked about defensive line, but going get one more offensive lineman I think would be great. Some other names real quick, Cade, that you know maybe crack the two deep if there's injuries, but I think they're still a couple years away, year away. Jacoby Sanders from Stillwater. Yeah. Jack and Dean from Arizona coming in. And then a name, I believe he's a preferred walk-on, and I'm not going to even try to say the full name, but Valami is his first name. I heard some good things about him at the guard spot. So those are some guys to watch for that aren't in the too deep that we put out. I love it. I love it. I think the offensive line is going to be better. I just, even that just first layer, it feels like almost hard to measure how much better I think that's going to be. And if they have, you know, that that table that I put out, uh, I think it was a couple months ago, showing the starting, how much, how many snaps of the total snaps each starting offensive line in the Big 12 played, and Oklahoma State was way less than everyone else, even if they were to be middle of the pack, they've got eight guys they feel comfortable about. So say you just lose one or two guys for a few games like everybody else did, then you feel really comfortable about this offensive line. But knowing what we know about Oklahoma State and what we've seen the past couple of seasons, I'm, I'm sure there will be some injuries they'll have to make up for. Oh, no question about it. All right, let's move to the wide receivers, and we'll include the uh, tight ends and cowboy backs here just to, for the sake of time. So at the Z spot, I've got Jaden Bray. At the slot, Brennan Presley. At the X, I'm moving Blaine Green from cowboy back back to wide receiver. I've also split out tight end and fullback, or I'm still going to call it cowboy back from now, but I'm thinking of cowboy back more as a fullback. Tight end, I've got Josiah Johnson. Cowboy back, I've got Braden Cassidy. Running back, I've got an or situation with Elijah Collins and Ollie Gordon. And at quarterback, I've got Alan Bowman. Behind them, at the Z, I've got Stribling from Washington State and Talon Shetron as an or situation. At the slot, Arlen Bruce. At the X and or situation with Leon Johnson, the third, the D three wide receiver transfer and our guy Rashad Owens moving back from cowboy back to receiver spot. Then at tight end Ian Edenfield and at cowboy back Jake Schultz rounding out with Jaden Nixon as the backup, or I guess third string change of pace, mix it around running back. And then Garrett Rangel is the backup QB. Yeah. I, I still feel like, and I'm, I may still get hate for this, but I feel like the skill talent is potentially, <laughs> it might be better. And I, I know that that's not what people think. And I may get in trouble for that. 
but I, I think you lose a lot in John Paul Richardson. There's no question about that. That is a big loss. But you start working your way down that depth chart with the wide receiver group specifically. I I feel better about having a Deshaun Stribling out there. And Arlen Bruce can come in and plug that gap at, that John Paul Richardson leaves. And I do think the addition of an inline tight end makes you deeper at receiver. I mean, am, am I crazy about that? No, Cade. And I, I hate to agree with you on this because then we're just going to sound like we're sunshine pumping. But outside of John Paul Richardson, which you already alluded to is a huge loss, I think I would rather have Blaine Green on the field than Bryson Green if I had to pick between the two at the X spot. I just feel like I liked overall what I saw from Blaine when he was at receiver. I liked what I saw from him at Cowboy back. And the inconsistency of Bryson Green to create separation and the fact that teams could completely take him out of a game, I know it's something he can improve upon, but it just made me feel like he could never be that number one guy. And I know the X doesn't have to be the number one guy, but the number one guy at the X spot. So I, if they move Blaine Green back there, like I'm, I'm guessing in our depth chart, I think that would be great. I'm really intrigued to see what Leon Johnson can do. I like what he can do on film. It's There's not a ton of versatility there, but he knows what he's good at, and he's a big body guy, which I don't think Oklahoma State had last year. Rashad Owens, we know what he can do, seasoned veteran. And then on the, at the Z, Jaden Bray, I think his ceiling is still extremely high because we haven't seen a lot of him, and he had dealt with injuries last year. Stribling was the the leading receiver at Washington State. Oh, yeah. And from what I, and I like, I love his film. And then Talon Chetron, just another young guy who we know has an extremely high ce- ceiling as well, kind of similar to Bray. I don't even know who actually is going, like, if you made me pick the leading receiver and you excluded Brendan Presley, so I guess if you want to call him the number one receiver, the second leading receiver on the team right now, I would have no idea who to pick because I don't even know how many snaps each guy's going to get. I might, I might go off the beaten path here. And I I think I'm going to double down on Presley again. I think he's going to go down as one of the better receivers of the last 20 years for Oklahoma state in terms of just being a staple in the offense. He, He will be missed when he's gone, but it won't be this year. I think Stribling might have a really big year. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, receiver one and all of a sudden his side of the field becomes where Oklahoma state looks that's Jaden Bray's role. But is there a world Dustin where that flips and Deshaun Stribling comes in and becomes this, the same receiver that, you know, a Tylen Wallace and play that same spot in this offense. Do you think there's any chance of that? Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. I feel like it's almost like the fact that we're saying we don't know who is going to get all of the snaps and all of the targets is a bad thing, but I actually think it's a good thing. They're just unknowns in Oklahoma State's offense, but I I think you're spot on. I love shriveling. It sounds like when Oklahoma State got him out of the portal, it, it caused some 
concern in the wide receiver room, which makes me think that they felt the same way that he was a guy that's going to come in and compete for reps right away. Yeah. And then we haven't even mentioned Arlen Bruce, who who could be a guy that really breaks out in the return game as well. And is kind of your replacement for John Paul Richardson, not, not really the same type of receiver, but in that same kind of slot position. He's an interesting guy. I've had a hard time like figuring out who he might be as a, for like a comp because he's he's not really like a receiver Oklahoma State has had in a long time he's different than even a Brennan Presley like if you just look at him size wise yeah okay like you could just say it's Brennan Presley but he almost kind of runs around like a Cole Beasley a little bit like but he's he's probably a little bit more dynamic and they used him at Iowa and in a little bit different situations but he's kind of like that Cole Beasley, Wes Welker type of player, maybe with a little bit more burst. Yeah, I think he's a guy that you see end up with several touchdowns, but maybe not very many overall catches. You know, maybe a punt return TD, a jet sweep TD. a Like a know, Landon kind of Wolf. Trick play TD <laughs> type of thing. So I think it'll, I think he's going to be fun to watch. I think as his career kind of progresses, because he has multiple years of eligibility left, you see him utilize a little bit more. But being behind Presley, I think he's perfect for that spot and just to kind of be used in a little bit different ways, like you said. And then as we move to running backs, I think Elijah Collins came in, and I think he thinks and wants to be the number one guy, even with an Ollie Gordon on the roster. So that's why I put them at or. I think Ollie is definitely the guy I want to see get a lot of carries, but I wouldn't sleep on Collins. Guy rushed for almost a thousand yards a couple of years ago at Michigan State, dealt with some injuries, dealt with some issues from COVID. And now he seems to be back at full strength. I really like the one two punch of Collins and Gordon, and I hope that that's how they use them. And it's not a Dom Richardson getting all the carries type of situation. No, not at Dom, not his fault. He's getting all the carries and he did well with what he, what he had. But if you're splitting, you know, 60, 40, 50, 50 Collins and Gordon and keeping defenses on their toes, I think that's one way to help the run game right there. Oh, I, I love it, Dustin. I I don't know how Ollie Gordon would feel about, you know, any sort of division of labor there. I think it's got to be slanted his way. And it stinks that that's the case. It's political, of course, but he did just, you know, drive a new caddy off the lot. So we'll see how that goes for him. But at the same time, it, it'll be the best player that gets on the field. And I, I trust Mike Gundy to, to not let, you know, an NIL thing get in the way. I lo- I can't wait to see Ollie in a scheme that doesn't rely so heavily on vision. That was one of the things you and I talked about, about him. So I'm excited to see him be able to hit a hole and go, uh, because I think this is going to suit him a lot better. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, Gundy didn't say it in the interview, but he kind of mentioned some scheme changes. You know, he talked about the differences in the O-line recruiting and things like that. So if we see some more gap scheme stuff, it'll be Interesting to see both of these guys, including a Jaden Nixon, work oh, yeah. in that scheme. Um, if we don't see quarter- Crossbuck, I'm going to scream. If we don't see Crossbuck with this gash game, I'm going to scream. <laughs> um, the last position we'll talk about, and I don't think a lot, I don't think you or I think it's going to be a huge competition for the starting spot. I think it's Alan Bowman's job to lose, as weird as that sounds, if he can stay healthy, just because he's got 
such an experience advantage on everyone else in that QB room. But I think it'll be interesting to watch the backup QB spot because Garrett Rangel and Gunnar Gundy competed for it last year. So there's competition there again. And then you got Zane Flores coming in as the highly touted elite 11 quarterback recruit who probably, I mean, from everything I've seen, all the interviews I've seen, he's a fairly confident guy. I think he thinks he could take that number two spot and he's probably going to be gunning for the starting spot in, in his mind. So I think it'll be interesting to watch that backup quarterback and who ends up being oh, listed yeah. there. I think it's going to be Rangel, but I, th- I think it's uh, going to be a fun kind of competition to watch. I mean, I'm excited for the spring game, Dustin. One thing the transfer portal does do is get me fired up for that because there's a lot of new faces that I will be quite ready to see. I mean, the idea of watching Alan Bowman run around Boone Pickens Stadium here in a couple of months throwing touchdowns is like so foreign to me, but it's going to be here in no time. It's it's really crazy. Uh, another name we didn't mention at running back, DeAndre Jackson. I still think you see him when they go to that three personnel look, if they still do that. I think he's still in the mix. I'm just not sure how much he'll be utilized. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. I know that he'll be a guy that a lot of people want to get some run. Um, it's it's going to be a, a log jam at running back for a little bit. The addition of Elijah Collins does not make things easier on, on a guy like DeAndre Jackson. So. I've got one thing. We got to we got to talk a quick basketball like just state of the union if you're cool with that. Oh yeah. Obviously, coming off of Ole Miss, you 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 lay the wood to them. They did what we said they needed to do. They are now on kind of a fast track to achieve that 3 out of 4 number that we talked about last week at the beginning of this stretch. So, we talked Ole Miss, OU, TCU, Tech. You need three out of four there, and if you can get four, you should probably be favored and in every game, except maybe this one tonight. Oklahoma State's three-point underdogs against Oklahoma. But I I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win this game, and I feel like this is a pivotal moment for Oklahoma State. And that game against Ole Miss, I know Ole Miss is – I mean, they, they stink out loud. They're really, really bad. But at the same time, I loved watching Oklahoma State just manhandle a team. That was a good feeling, and it's really good to know because I think Oklahoma State is the by far more athletic team tonight in Norman. Yeah, and and that old Miss game, you and I got to watch that together, which was fun. Not in person, but... Rubbing elbows with with one of our our good friends, Chris. (laughs) But it was fun to watch, and I actually ended up going back and re-watching as well the next morning, just, you know to pay a little bit better attention. But Musa Cisse returns to the court. They went on that. They outscored Ole Miss 20 to six in the paint in the first half. Woody Newton. I I was very hesitant on Woody Newton even getting minutes earlier in the season. And since he's been inserted into the starting lineup and they're playing kind of this small ball without Cisse with Boone at the five, Newton at the four, he has really thrived because, kid, what he can do that Boone and Cisse and Tyreek Smith all really can't do at the, at the four or five spot is he moves really, really well off the ball as a cutter. All of those guys can screen, but he moves insanely well as a cutter, and he got found multiple times in the first half. They kind of went away from it, and Ole Miss made some adjustments in the second half. Also, Avery Anderson kind of took over in the second half a little bit, but... 
Woody Newton has been a revelation there. So when when Cisse is fully back, I think you know keeping him in the rotation is a good thing. So almost the opposite of what I said earlier this year. And then Avery Anderson finally the free throw line eleven times. That's what you got to do, even if he doesn't make all eleven like he did in this game. That's the that's the style of basketball that Avery Anderson needs to play. Outside of the little stretch in the second half, that was about three or four minutes around like the 10 minute mark when Oklahoma State just kept turning the ball over, which Mike Boynton mentioned in his post game presser. They played a almost near perfect game, I would say, for this Oklahoma State basketball team. I think as perfect a game as they've played all year. I mean, even that game against Oklahoma, which I would say was their like next closest one. They they had several stretches of that game where I felt like this could this could go either way. And, you know, they did turn the ball over in that game. They missed free throws. But ultimately, man, the the consistency that we've seen from Avery Anderson scoring. Now he's consistently turning the ball over as well, but consistency in scoring does so much for you. And then the the X factor, I think, of this team and this stretch right now, it's Woody Newton. I mean, he he has come on strong. He's given you at least nine in the last three games. That is big time, especially when it's coming from good looks. Like he's getting into the paint and then he can kick it right back out. And I think it has truly opened up the rest of the offense, as you said, to where they're now getting, they were getting okay looks. They're now getting good to great looks from three-point line and they're shooting it better. It's like crazy how that works, right? They might not be an awful shooting team uh, like we once thought. Things have opened up a little bit. What I can't wait to see is how Mike Boynton handles Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone because you can't keep Caleb off the floor right now. And I don't know if you can have him on the floor at the same time. He's by. F- it's a great question to ask because Caleb has now shown that he's extremely consistent. He's by he's far their best scoring- player. He's scoring between like 14 and 18, like the last six or seven games, I feel like. I get 18 against Ole Miss. And you see what happens if one of these other guys can be consistent, like you said Avery Anderson is right now. This team is so much different offensively. They just only had Caleb Boone that was consistent. And... No one, everybody else, you know, Bryce Thompson, who, who, you know, who's up and down. Avery Anderson was up and down until recently. John Michael Wright was up and down until these last two games. And I think he's gone for 18 and then 10 in this last one. And they were relying on guys like Caleb Asbury and players like that to just have scoring outbursts out of nowhere. But if you can have two guys that can consistently score like Anderson and Boone have, and you have a Woody Newton chip in, you have a John Michael Wright chip in, you have a Caleb Asbury chip in, that's big time, and that's how this team scores points. And we know they can play defense, but that's how they score points. Kate, I wanted to ask you. So I know we talked about on the last podcast, somewhere between that eight, nine, ten win range is where we think they have to get in conference play win total wise to make it to the tournament. So they've got OU, TCU, who will most likely be without Mike Miles, and then Texas Tech, who's the worst team in the Big Twelve, even though they just beat Iowa State in a crazy fashion. Do you think they can get all three of those? They play OU tonight, so we're gonna talking about this, and this this game will have already happened. Not to jinx it, but I do think they can get all three of them. Um, the one that makes me nervous is this one tonight. I mean, OU just dismantled Alabama at home. Um, they they probably feel the same level of pressure in a game like this that Oklahoma State does. But 
I kind of like this one on the road. I kind of like being the, you know, bullseye on your back type of team in this environment. And then you welcome TCU in without Mike Miles, who who has struggled. I think you win that one. And then you got to take care of business against Texas Tech, who just won their first conference game of the year. I mean, it will be absolutely crazy if we look up at the end of next Wednesday, so a week from tonight in Oklahoma State has a winning record in conference, which is what we're saying. But I do think it's entirely possible. They go on the road to Iowa State, and then it really starts to ramp back up. You've got home trips against Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor coming up, uh, and then a road trip to TCU. So this stretch right here, Dustin, I don't want to say it's the season, but it's it's darn close. you got to have two. If they could get all three, then to get to the nine-win total, they only need – three of the next seven and to get to eight wins, obviously they would only need two. So getting the OU TCU and Texas tech wins, like you just said, I know, I know you said it, they don't have to, but if they did, man, that makes the, that makes that last stretch where it ramps up a lot more. You're a lot more optimistic about coming out of there with two or three wins and ending at eight or nine wins in conference play, which eight may not get you in. I think nine does for sure. And then 10, you know, I, I think obviously you're in with 10, but man, th- th- these next three, you're right. That was a great point to hit on because they are very, very big. Well, and here's, here's just to crystallize it. Six out of their next eight are against top 15 teams. There you go. It's the big 12 is tough. It's going to be interesting to see how it keeps going, but, or how, how the season plays out, but from what we've seen recently with this team, and like you said, Ole Miss is not a good team. The way they've been picking things up on offense makes me feel very positive about how the rest of the season is going to go, but we'll see how it ends up. Yeah, I think Caleb Boone might uh, tell Tanner Groves who who is uh, who's dad tonight. We'll see. All right, <laughs> are we getting to questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. And we had, and Kate, just to mention, we, we had some baseball, softball, wrestling stuff we are going to hit but we can hit that next week. I, I don't think there'll be a ton of news as the baseball season and softball seasons don't start for a few weeks still. So we'll hit that stuff next week and we're going to move straight into questions. Yes, sir. Here's one from Justin. What's up? Feels like 45. It's your boy South. I'm jazzed up because of the big 12 schedule release and the fact that we get to play all the newcomers this season. I wanted to get your thoughts on a theory I have. We play all of the new teams at the end of the season, which might play to our advantage in a couple of ways. At that point, we will have more film against unfamiliar opponents, and they might be worn down by November after playing at the Power 5 level for a few months. Curious to know your thoughts on that theory, and if you had seen anything else that stuck out as a potential advantage from your analysis of the schedule. Justin, great question. You sound like you have a podcast, my friend. That was good. <laughs> yeah, Justin, thanks so much for the question. Appreciate it. And to check out Justin's podcast, Believe in OK State with Eve Beethoven, Megan Robinson, it's a good one as well. I love that. I love that call out because he's right. We will have more film on these guys. We'll have more film of them against familiar opponents playing other Big 12 teams. So I love that we're playing, you know, three of them, the last three games of the season and Cincinnati close to there with that OU game in between. 
I like that a lot. It's a great call out and not something we mentioned when we were talking about the schedule earlier. Yeah, I love it. And I do feel like uh, it's there's there's probably some merit to it. And there's probably some case studies of this, too. Like we've seen Oklahoma State, generally speaking, they get better as the year goes on, right? When they're healthy. So I trust maybe Oklahoma State to do that more than I trust a new team to come in and really handle things in the Big 12, uh, their first go-round. So I love it, Justin. It's a great question. Yeah, I think on the on the second part, I think we hit that stuff earlier with kind of yeah. the different spots of the schedule we saw, so we won't rehash that. But, Justin, thanks so much for the question. Kate, was that the only audio? That's all we had. All right, let's move to the Twitter questions. Thanks so much, everybody, for sending these in. Our first one comes from Matt Claxton at Road Crew One. Thanks, Matt, for the question. As always, he says Rashada signs with Arizona State. Is he the is he the starter in Week Two versus us? Kid, I haven't looked at their QB depth chart yet, but yes, he is. I feel like he's probably going to be. <laughs> yes, he is. Absolutely. If he's not, if he's not, and the starter in week one doesn't absolutely light the world on fire, the Arizona State fans are going to be calling for Rashad at week two anyway. So I think it's I think there's a fair shot that that he's a starter. But again, Matt, sorry, I, I have not really looked at their depth chart or anything like that yet for Arizona State. So I'm not sure who he's going to be competing with, but just a blind answer, I'd say yes. If they don't start him, it's going to be the Taylor Cornelius Spencer Sanders situation by 10. Like week one <laughs> times 10, first interception, it's it's Rashada. It's his job. It actually yeah. is probably more like the Clint Shelf JW Walsh situation. That's probably more accurate. <laughs> the shortest yeah, leash Matt, of all time. Yeah. Sorry, we don't have more info on Arizona State's team yet. We will be doing a full deep dive into them, obviously, like we always do with our season previews, and we can definitely talk more about that then. But thank you for the question. Okay, next we got Corbett Klein. Corbett Klein, thanks so much for the question, Corbett, as always. I really like this one, Kate. He says, what is a good comparison skill set-wise for Brandon Garrison? Is he more Ivan McFarlane or LeBron Nash? And just to reiterate, Brandon Garrison is the Dell City McDonald's All-American who will be coming in in the next class with Oklahoma State basketball. So, Cade, what do you think there? I, there's probably more guys we could compare him to out of those two, but if you're leaning those two, what are you thinking? We talked about this. Um, if, you're, if I'm leaning those two, it's really tough because I don't know if he's really like either of them. I would say maybe his offensive skill set – lends him more to be like an Ivan McFarland, but he can actually step out and shoot it. Dustin, I was pinging comps at you uh, and you were pinging him back at me. And I don't know if we got anywhere. He's, he's kind of a, um, he's kind of a different type of player than we've seen at the center position, at least at Oklahoma state in a long time. I mean, I think his ability to handle the ball and then score it from all three levels is not something that will look very familiar at all. And so I was trying to think of like, a, okay, who's a prolific scorer at that level in the NBA. You could go with like a, a Jokic, but that's kind of ridiculous. So I, I, I truly don't know. I said like uh, when we were talking like Richard Lewis, but that's yeah. probably, that's probably overinflating his ability as a shooter and underinflating his ability as a shot blocker and a rim rocker. I mean, yes, so almost like a maybe like Richard Lewis and Ivan McFarland squished together to form one 
super person player with a with a little bit of Rafe LaFrance salt bait on the top, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, a little bit sprinkled on the top. I, yeah, because and I get why you even say somebody like Jokic, he can score from all three levels. He he can block shots. He can rebound, and he's athletic. But it's almost like a if you look at his size and you say all that, you're thinking more like a body type and skill set, like a LeBron James. Like yeah, a like Giannis. Guy that's just sprinting all over. Yeah, or Giannis. And he's more, it's like a slower yeah. kind of athleticism, methodical type of thing. He's not going to be beating you in a 40-yard dash. So that's kind of the best way to describe him. I, I could, I nor, normally I love the comps, Kate. You know I do them on a lot of my Twitter threads, but this one was this one was tough for me. If if you guys have any, feel free to shoot them at us. And again, I'm we t- looked at this like one second before the podcast. Yeah, and I'm trying to so think. Come up I'm trying to think back to like players that have done that. Like, and the, I'm not even going to say what I was just thinking, but there's probably some KU guys over the last couple of years that have been able to step out and do that, but. I mean, they they run through a big-bodied center all the time. So, I don't know. I got nothing for you, but great question. Yeah, love that question. We'll do a better job. Uh, we can get <laughs> we can get some more comps out there for him. Um, you are best. So, okay, next that? we'll go with we'll go with Weston at CW Basin ninety two. He says, "Is Bray the go to receiver this year, or do you think one of the transfers will be?" And then the second part is, we are last in the conference in average recruiting ranking on two four seven. How big of an issue is this realistically? Kate, I'll throw that first question to you because I know you have you have a take that you mentioned earlier. Can you just kind of cover that again? Well, yeah, we did talk about it. I do think that there's a, a world that exists where it's a Deshaun Stribling that comes in and is wide receiver one, kind of like a Tay Martin type of situation. I do think it's probably going to be Jaden Bray that's wide receiver one. But if Stribling comes in, shows route running ability, uh, elite athleticism and upside, which I do think he will show that, that you could have a competition to put one of them at Z and one on the other side. So I'm kind of fascinated to see that. But I do think like if I was a betting man, I would say Jaden Bray is that guy. Yeah. And the versatility of this receiving core, like you said, Bray has played X and Z. Stribling could probably play either. Leon Johnson, I think, is one of the only ones out of these guys I'm going to mention that I think probably is just an X, but maybe he could play Z as well. Rashad Owens has played cowboy back slot, Z and X. I, I mean, I don't think all those in a game, but he's played all of those in practice. And then Blaine Green has played cowboy back, X. He's been all over the place as well. So just super versatile and not even to mention Brennan Presley and Arlen Bruce. So love that answer. And then on the average recruiting ranking and just the recruiting class in general, you kind of have to look at it now with the transfers included. And if you go to 247 and look at the overall rankings, Oklahoma State is 43rd. I think if you go back and you click, you change it to 2022, I think they're 34th, 31 uh, two years ago. So when you take that into account, they're really not that far off what they've been in the past. Now, if you just look at high school, it's not great. And I think it's a little concerning, but you also have to remember guys like Tywin Ray, who Kate and I and Adam Lunt think is going to be an absolute stud, just recently got a recruiting ranking. Then they recently bumped it up, and I, I think they're going to bump it up again before yeah. it's all said and done. Jalen Pope, Tyke Andrews, 
guys that we think are very undervalued. I know you can say that about anybody, but we feel very strongly about some of these guys in this class, like an RJ Lester. So I'm not saying that that completely offsets it. I do think it's a little concerning when you're just looking at the high school. But if you look overall, I think it's fine. Aside, you know, from losing Spencer Sanders, John Paul Richardson, there's some big Mason Cobb, some big pieces you lost. But I, I wouldn't be super pessimistic because when you go look at the overall, I think they're kind of in the same boat that they normally are, just a little bit lower. Yeah, and I feel like we do this every year, right? Like Oklahoma State is going to recruit the way they do. And I truly think that if they have a year where there's more four and five stars, it's not because they offered more. I think it's just because they hit on more. So it's it's I, I think the philosophy is the philosophy here. Yeah. We've got a couple more, last one, and then we've got two in the DMs. We've got Ryan at Ryan uh, and a bunch of numbers. Too many for me to read. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's Ryan 305-54129. He says, have you heard anything on how Aiden Kelly is developing? Will he play defensive end or nose? I probably see him more at that interior kind of nose guard defensive tackle spot. And... I think he's been developing fine. I know last year he got a little bit hung up, though, dealing with a shoulder injury. I think he had surgery on it. I know I recently saw a picture of him in a sling. I believe that was due to the, the shoulder injury. So I know he was banged up a lot last season. But from everything I know, I know, the coaching staff is still high on him. I just don't have him in my too deep because if we're truly going three down, you've got Colin Clay, Xavier Ross, Eamon Oates, Justin Kirkland, Anthony Goodlow, Cody Walterscheid. There's a lot of names of experienced guys there. I'm just not sure Kelly will crack it. But if he does, I would not be surprised. I wouldn't either because I think it's fairly thin, right? Like, I or it, it may just be more unproven. And so a guy like Aiden Kelly sure might have the inside track having been in the program. But I, I do think that uh, it's he's probably going to be seen at some point this year, probably not on a starting level, but I'm sure he's going to figure out a way to get into the rotation. Yeah. Agreed. And you and I are both big Aiden Kelly guys. So definitely would love to see that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Going to the DMS. We've got Jack Moffitt at Jackson Moffitt three. He says, got a couple of questions for you guys. Do you think the offensive side is bought in? What steps would the front office need to take to galvanize these players and for a curveball, who would you cast to play Mike Gundy in the event a movie was made about his career? <laughs> Danny McBride. Easy. I, I think, yeah, I'm going to go with Danny McBride as well. That Cade had that locked and loaded, so I don't think I could come up with a better <laughs> answer, and I love that answer. It might have just uh, been for the wallet. I don't know. <laughs> for the first part, Cade – I think these guys are bought in outside of the receiving core. We didn't, re we didn't see any of the offensive linemen transfer Dom transferred out, but they kind of replaced him with Elijah Collins. You lose Spencer Sanders, but you get Alan Bowman in most of the backup guys are still hanging around. I know people wanted to see changes on the staff, but I think they're going to be changing scheme wise, some for recruiting philosophies. I think everybody's bought in. I mean, everybody that's still here anyway. Yeah, I have no reason to to wonder that. I mean, if if they weren't, they could have hit the portal with everybody else. So that would be, I mean, the proof would be in their inaction there. I think so. Yeah, I know Gundy on the uh, on the Robert Allen, on the Robert Allen interview said that 
the stuff about the locker room being in turmoil was BS. He said oh. the, the word, but it was very funny to hear him talk about that. And he was talking about how the players in the locker room were laughing about the the narrative on social media. So again, I would go check it out because if the way Gundy talks on his radio show and in these kind of one-on-one interviews and then the OSU Max stuff is so much different than what he does in his media press conferences, his larger ones pre and post game. So I would definitely go check it out. A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, and then the last question, this is from the guys at around the 12 podcast at around the underscore 12. They said, Hey guys, I've been looking at our offers for 2024. We've offered a lot of four, even five stars compared to previous years. Do you think we'll be able to land a few of these guys? Or do you think Adam Lunt's theory of going for the under-recruited guys will prevail? Would love to hear your answer on the next pod. Thank you guys. Thanks so much for the question. Hey, we talked a little bit about this since we got this one a little early in the DMs. I went and looked, and I know it feels like they don't offer these guys, but if you go to the offer listings on 247, they have the historical ones on there. I went and looked back at 2023 and 2022. They offered six, and I may be off a little bit on these counts. I counted pretty quickly before the podcast, but 69, four or five stars were offered in 2023. That's across all positions and 78 in 2022. And at this point in 2024, they offered 34, which puts them on track to be around that 69, 78 range. So they offer these guys. I think the thing is a lot of times they end up at more of the blue blood, bigger programs, I still think that they can land some of these guys to answer the question in this class. But I think the reason why they do things like what Adam Lunt talked about going for these either bigger schools that have bad records or the smaller schools and even the smaller schools with bad records is because that's a way they can kind of find these not so much diamond in the rough, but underlooked players. Like even some of the guys, at the bigger schools it happens with like a Jalen Pope, but that's just kind of their philosophy to get around some of this. But they do offer these guys. Kate, am I wrong on that? No, I, I I, don't think you're wrong about it at all. And, you know, people will throw numbers out at you like, well, Clemson offers 500 four- and five-star players. It's like, okay, well, Oklahoma State is not going to do that. So <laughs> you, you might as well stop wondering about it because they're just not going to. But I do think that the philosophy, as we just kind of, we kind of answered a little bit of this just a minute ago, but I think the philosophy is the philosophy and they are going to attack positions of need and they're really going to recruit top end talent at skill positions. That seems to be what they want to do. They want to fill depth at the offensive and defensive lines with nasty kind of underappreciated players that will come in with an edge. And I mean, they've done that for 20 years now, it feels like. So, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you guys so much for all the questions. Really appreciate it. Also love the audio one from our guy, Justin. But yeah, Kate, that's all I have over here. Well, no question. We appreciate you guys as always. Always. We also should say, Dustin, before we go, uh, a quick thank you as we didn't get to break for commercial. Just a quick thank you to our sponsors, Homefield Apparel and prize picks. You can always use our promo code with both of them. Feels 12 for home field will get you 15% off your first order. And then with prize picks, you will get your first deposit matched up to a hundred dollars with our promo code feels 12, but they've been very good to us. And uh, I know several of you 
have used their generous offers that they've allowed. So uh, just wanted to say a quick thank you to them and what they do for the podcast. But Dustin, that's it for us. It, as always, you can follow us at Feels Like 45 Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Dustin at Dust Ragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. Dustin, big one tonight. Let's go get a win. Let's get a win on Saturday in Gallagher, Iba, and we will see you guys right back here next week. Go Pokes.